If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You don't have to dip forever. You know that rhyme. You don't have to smoke forever. And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I've been that guy. I dipped for so long. And what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. That's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey. And I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch. That didn't work. Gum, sunflower seeds. I, I tried it all. It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's Mint Chew. Go, put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint Chew. It's tobacco-free. It's nicotine-free. It's even sugar-free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, get 10% off. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine I am about to give you a task, okay? You have to get in your car and drive for 11 hours. You have a destination. It's 11 hours away. 
You think you could do it? Well, yeah. Most of you probably have to stop the pee a few times. I would as well, but it's obviously you could do it, especially in this day and age. A little heat, a little air conditioning. The Jesse Kelly Show on the radio. What, Chris? What? You know what the people like here. You can do it, of course. Okay, now let's 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 we gotta add some things to the to the burden here. It's not just driving eleven hours. You have to drive eleven hours, but the temperature inside your vehicle is going to be fifty degrees. Now that's pretty chilly for a vehicle. I'd be fairly comfortable at 50 degrees because I run so hot. But I'm most of you, certainly the women, you need an extra sweater. Maybe a blanket. Got a lot less pleasant, right? It's that simple thing. Just 11 hours, 50 degrees, okay. I got to be honest, even though I run hot, I might get a little chill myself at some point in time. I have to put on a couple of sweatshirts. All right, all right, that's fine. All right, forget 50 degrees. We're dropping the temperature to zero degrees. 11 hours, zero degrees. Could you do it? Okay, you probably thinking to yourself, well, yeah, I've, I bundle up. I can do it. I have to bundle up. How about 20 degrees below zero? There's a very good chance if you're hearing the sound of my voice right now, you've never been in 20 degree below zero weather. Allow me to just briefly elaborate because this is going to matter a lot today. It goes way past cold. It hurts. Everything hurts. Your ears hurt. Your fingers hurt. Your nose, your lungs hurt when you breathe. It feels like you're breathing in little tiny needles into your lungs because the human body is not made to breathe in 20 degree below zero air. Your eyeballs hurt. I've been in weather like this more times than I can count. It hurts. Could you do it? Probably not. Probably 50% chance you're already out. Okay, I'm, 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 all right, never mind, I'm out. But wait, there's more. This 11-hour drive is not an 11-hour drive across the state of Nebraska. Not a single hill, not a single curve. You are actually driving through the mountains. Twisty, turny, windy roads. Hairpin turn here. And even if you haven't been on one, you can picture what mountain roads are like. You've seen enough movies and TV shows and pictures on the internet. What are they like? They put the roads not on top of the mountain, obviously. That's not the way you build roads. You put them down in the valleys, down in the ravines. Between the mountains. Now you're freezing. Now you're on this twisting, winding road between the mountains. Could you do it? Uh, 
Now, let's add something else in. Now every mile or so, you're being shot at from the mountains. Bullets whizzing off your car. Bullets penetrating the doors of your car. Now let me give you a friend, a close friend of yours sitting in the passenger seat. He gets hit by one of these and dies an hour into the trip. Now can you do it? Ten hours, your dead friend sitting beside you in the car. What I just described to you is not even close to the full amount of what the men endured at Chosen Reservoir in Korea, and you probably don't even know about the battle. Maybe you've heard of it. 100% of you have heard of the Korean War. Maybe 50% chance you've heard of Chosen. Chris hadn't even heard of it. If you're a Marine, you definitely have because it's legendary in the United States Marine Corps. Outside of that, for some reasons we'll get into here in a second, it's just like it never happened. There's a reason they call the Korean War itself. Three years, the Forgotten War. But my goodness, you remember all the times I've told you about World War I? I actually think we're going to do World War I show again on Friday. There's a battle there I want to talk about. So you'll hear me say this again on Friday, I'm sure. But I've, heard, I've told you before. Throughout the ages, all the different types of combat, all the different locations of combat, all the different miserable places you can go, desert, jungle, mountains, swords, spears, artillery shells, airplanes, everything, all the, all the different weapons. If you had to pick one place that would be last on my list of, Jesse, you have to go fight in this war, it would be in the trenches on the Western Front in World War I. Number two would be Chosen Reservoir, and there's a large gap between two and three. You remember when we talked about the Indianapolis, I think it was last week, maybe the week before, about that ship that went down in the Pacific, and they spent four or five days dying of dehydration and being eaten by sharks in the dark, pretty much everybody's worst nightmare? Chosen Reservoir is worse I would rather be in the water of the Indianapolis than at Chosen Reservoir. It's that horrible. Here was the situation on the ground. World War II ending. We have to figure out what to do with the spoils. And imagine how odd this is. You have the Nazis took over all this territory. And Italy, not so much. But the Nazis take over all this territory. Japan takes over all this territory. And then we, everybody gets together and we fight this massive war. And we win. And now, I mean, you're kind of giving the countries back. But kind of not. Some of them aren't ready to be given back at all. Plus, you have power-hungry people on your side, uh, like Stalin. Maybe you've heard of him. And the problem is, maybe the worst person who ever lived, and you owe Stalin favors. Lots of them. Let's be clear. Stalin is probably worse than Adolf Hitler on the historical scales. 
Body count wise, he undoubtedly is. He's that bad. But you do owe him. I know he sided with the Nazis in the beginning. He's a scumbag. I know all that. But remember, seven out of eight Nazis killed in World War II were killed by Russians, were killed by Soviets. The Soviet Union, they shouldered that war. Stalin, not exactly a man afraid to make the big ask or the big demand, is going to demand spheres of influence. Lots of places. Hang on. You might get evicted from your home if you don't listen to what I'm about to tell you. I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm just trying to get your attention here. Home title theft, home title fraud, whatever you want to call it, it is happening all the time in the United States of America right now. Because your home title, it's just hanging out there online. Do you know how easy it is for these cyber thieves to get their hands on it? And they're looking for it. As we speak, they're looking for yours, they're looking for mine, they're looking for any of these home titles they can get. If they get it, they'll get your signature on it, take a loan out against it, and you have to pay that loan back. If you don't, you're out. Evicted from your home. Don't let it happen to you. Go to HomeTitleLock.com, register your address, see if you're already a victim. While you're there, sign up, use the code JESSE, get 30 free days of protection. HomeTitleLock.com. Post-World War II, you have to divide up the spheres of influence in the world. And let's keep in mind that you know I'm not exactly the biggest FDR fan. And this is part of the reason why. Churchill thought FDR was way too sympathetic towards Stalin. Remember, Churchill, one of the allies, to push up and take Berlin before the not before the Russians could get there because he knew how much of an evil jerk Stalin was and he knew what Stalin was going to do after the fact. FDR chose not to. Let the Russians have it. Whoops. Bunch of people in East Germany paid the price for that mistake. Gosh, FDR sucked. All right, don't get me distracted, Chris. We got to figure out what to do with Korea. I don't expect you to be boned up on Korean history. The good Lord above knows I'm not, but you should know this. 1913, early 1900s. Forget about these dates. I don't like giving you stupid details that don't matter. Early 1900s, Japan takes over Korea. Japan takes over Korea. It was, as you can imagine, given Japan's culture at this time, not a pleasant occupation. Not a, uh, not a, not a real, you know, tender touch of an occupation. It was horrific. 
They committed themselves to wiping out Korean culture, wiping out the Korean language. They didn't succeed. It was brutal. Men, women, children abused. Koreans used for samurai sword practice. It was it's it's bad. Really, really bad. So consider this situation if you're a citizen of the northern region of Korea. Japan loses in World War II, and you're like, woo! Finally! Getting rid of those dirty Japanese. That sucked. Let's go back to just being Korea. It has been quite something. I'm sorry, who's taking over? Kim Il-soon is taking over? I'm sorry, what? If the name Kim Il-soon sounds familiar, one, it's because Kim is obviously a very, very common last name in Korea. Remember, Korea, they put their last names first. That Kim Il-soon that took over after World War II, took over North Korea after World War II, is the grandfather of the current dictator of North Korea. Went right from him to Kim Jong-il. Uh, I can't even keep him straight now. Kim Jong-il is the current one, right, Chris? Or Kim Jong-un. Whatever. The current guy's dad, his dad, was Kim Il-soon. He takes over North Korea, and we decide... We're going to divide North Korea. Remember, we're dividing up spheres of influence here along the 38th parallel. So we're not giving Stalin North Korea, really. We're letting Stalin kind of choose the direction they're going to go. And so Stalin picks himself a little puppet, Kim Il-sung, takes over North Korea. There are a lot of people out there If you listen to any history podcasts, which I listen to all of them, who do this thing a lot where they apologize for mispronouncing names. I'm sorry if I mispronounce your name. Let me be really clear with you. I'm not sorry at all. I know I'm going to mispronounce names. I barely speak English. I definitely can't speak whatever your language is. And if that offends you, believe me when I tell you this show is not for you. You need to turn it off if that offends you because I am offensive. Just so we're clear on that. Well, there's something else happening at this time. Uh, I don't expect you, unless you're looking at a map, to really know exactly where Korea is. You know in general, but picture Japan. You know Japan, it's, it's going from that diagonal, kind of that diagonal island. From northeast to southwest, it's that string of islands. You can picture what Japan, you know what Japan looks like. Off the southwest coast of Japan, if you just hop over the water to the west a little, there's this Korean peninsula, Korea, jutting out there, sticking out in the water. North of Korea, most of the northern border of Korea, well... You have commies, except at this point in time, there's lots of commies. You have China to the west. Now, they have most of it, all right? China to the west. Russia has a little bit to the northeast. China at this time is going through a Chairman Mao communist revolution, or I should be more clear, they just finished a Chairman Mao communist revolution. I'll do something on that again another time. We were backing the China guy called Chiang Kai-shek. He was not a 
freedom capitalist, okay? Let's just be clear about that. He was just more our guy. We did not like Mao, obviously. We weren't big on commies. Mao wins that war. Chiang Kai-shek is banished to Taiwan, which is why we still have such an odd relationship with Taiwan today. See, all this blends together, doesn't it? But Mao's taken over China. So now we got the commies in Russia, the commies in China. We have a 38th parallel. We have North Korea. Which brings us to where we currently sit in 1950. Douglas MacArthur. It's no secret I do not care for the man. Whether he was ordered to or not, I have a big issue with him leaving the island, the Bataan Peninsula, right before our troops fell there and then went through the Bataan Death March. You can say I'm being too hard on him. Fine. I am hard on military leadership. I am hard on my officers. I had a few wonderful officers in my time in the Marine Corps, men I would lay down and die for to this day, and I had lots of really crappy ones, and if they were on fire and I had a drink and I had a glass of water, I'd drink it. I do not like bad leadership. I do not like bad officers. I don't. I have a big issue with it. MacArthur, I do not discount his intellect. He was a genius by all counts, knew he was a genius, referred to himself in the third person. I'm not making that up. And at this point, post-World War II, is a national hero. I mean, he was considered a national hero during World War II. That's part of the reason he was ordered off the Bataan Peninsula. They couldn't afford to lose it. But he's a, really a national hero post-World War II. He's MacArthur. I mean, the guy still has eyes on the presidency at this point in time. And frankly, what happens next may have cost him the presidency. So what's MacArthur doing post-World War II? This is a man who has existed in the Southeast Asian region for quite some time. He is a field marshal in the Philippines. He is practically worshipped in some parts of that world. And we have to figure out what to do with Japan post-World War II. What do I mean by that? Well, whatever their system was going on over there, the bonsai charges and the suicides and the torturing and murdering and raping everybody— We need to do some cultural adjusting here, Japan. Clearly what you're doing ain't working. So they had to put in a bunch of reforms. And to MacArthur's credit, even though I'm sure he's taking a lot of credit for a lot of people's work, they did wonderful reforms in that country. Japan really is a cool nation to this day. But you know I like them anyway. Heck, I like them during the barbarian days of World War II. I I, I think there's a lot really cool about the nation and the people. MacArthur's in Japan at this time, remaking the Japanese system. Now, we got to get rid of your emperor. Clearly, that's an issue. We got to do this. We got to do that. And MacArthur is watching American forces be reduced dramatically, though he's not that concerned about it. When I say dramatically, remember, post-World War II, obviously, World War II, we had built up this juggernaut of a world army, most powerful army in the world, We reduced our army from 12 million to 1 million. America is done with war, done with this military spending. Let's get back to life as usual. But you can pay a price for that.
It is a dangerous world out there. You need home security. I wish it wasn't. Honestly, I do. It's not as if I it's not as if I sit down here every single day and I cheer about the fact that you need home security, but you have to have it. Look at the news. It's dangerous. You need sensors. You need a camera or two. You need emergency dispatch services, police, fire, medical, even if you're not worried about break-ins. You can have all that starting at $15 a month with Simply Safe. And you don't have to sign a contract. You don't have crappy customer support, fine print on a contract, pushy salespeople, hidden fees. You just get home security at a great price. Go to simplysafe.com slash jesse. That's simplysafe.com slash jesse. That gets you free shipping in a 60-day risk-free trial. MacArthur is firmly ensconced in Japan. We are post-war hangover, period. America is done with the fighting. The military dudes are done with the fighting. We just want to be done with the fighting. But here is the problem with that. Because you and I go through this too. I know you do. I know I do. I like politics. I talk politics for four hours a day, three on the radio and an hour on TV. I like it. I enjoy it. I think it's important. I think it's exciting. I like the combat of it. It's awesome. I get tired of it too. You've heard me say before, this, it's one of the biggest differences I notice in my area. I just live in the burbs. It's a normal house in the burbs like you. In my area, it's one of the biggest differences between the Democrats and Republicans in my neighborhood. We have all kinds of neighborhood get-togethers all the time. It's a great little place. Fourth of July, birthday. Oh, everybody just come over. Crawfish bowl, whatever it may be. I show up at these things, and my Republican neighbors show up at these things, and they'll ask me occasionally about politics because of what I do. Oh, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? What do you think about what Trump said? But it's very casual. You know, we talk about other stuff. We get together, and I want to talk about anything else. Seriously, I want to talk about football. I want to talk about this. I want to talk about that. Democrats walk into these parties, and they march right up to me or the first person they see. Can you believe what Trump said? I'm telling you what. I'm organizing a large side. And, and I'll tell you what. We have got to get together on this. And let me. Uh, Black Lives Matter. And oh, let's let's discuss more coronavirus. Can you believe how we. It's, it's oh gosh. Just, you can't. You can't escape it. Leftists, whether they be Stalin and Mao or whether they be the modern American Democrat. It's honestly a huge advantage for them. It is. They never tire of it because it is their religion. It is not a political ideology to them. It is a religion. You and I. The United States finishes World War II and we're done with all that 
geopolitical war and fighting and everything else. Why don't we just, hey, why don't we all just chill for a little bit? Hey, we're, let's go home and start working on a baby on a baby boom. Let's get married, settle down, crank out nine or ten kids, white picket fence. Let's just let's go to baseball games and eat hot dogs. Leftists like Stalin and Mao think there's so much more I need to do before I die. While we are relaxing, Stalin is eyeing up South Korea. And saying to himself, well, what, what's stopping me from just taking this entire peninsula? While we're cooling our heels, Stalin's looking and thinking, the weather's way better down there. They have virtually no army to speak of, and they didn't. They just did not have much of anything in South Korea. Stalin sees us with our huge troop drawdowns. They have plenty of spies in America. They know the American mentality. He's all, oh, it's time. So Stalin fully equips the North Korean army in Stalin fashion. And remember, at the end of World War II, the Soviet army was maybe not the finest in the world, but might be certainly top two or three. They were legit. Don't think about a bunch of dumb idiot Russians with bold action rifles. They had probably the best tanks in the entire war, the T-34. They had planes. They, had, they, they were ready. Stalin equips North Korea and says, all right, let's do it. Let's take South Korea. Mao and Stalin very, very much. Now, I don't want to act like they were best friends. That's an interesting relationship here. They were both commies. They had very much their own selfish interests. But they weren't enemies. Not by a long shot. Mao decides he might have to try to get down on that action too. But the North Korean army with Soviet equipment, boom, storm into South Korea. MacArthur, Taken a little aback by this. He had plenty of intelligence. You don't move tanks and equipment like that without someone finding out. MacArthur had plenty of intelligence about this and still kind of blew it off, shrugged it off. Who would attack now? What are you talking about? MacArthur is also, I make this argument. I've not heard others make it, although I'm sure somebody has. MacArthur is past the time when he should have retired as far as military duties go, and this I don't fault him for. When a man reaches a certain age, you're just done with all that. And MacArthur had a glorious life set up for himself in Japan. Generals who take over responsibilities like that, you got servants. You're being driven everywhere. Your life is real nice. You ain't cooking your own meals unless you want to, Jack. It's a good life. MacArthur ignores intelligence reports. The North Korean army storms into South Korea, and they beat the living crap out of the South Koreans. The South Koreans, they did actually make a a decent showing of themselves for the disadvantage they had, but they are on the run. They almost lost completely. They lost their capital of Seoul. It's, it was bad. They were almost completely wiped out. Finally, with the help of us, they were able to dig in their heels and at least stop 
them from being completely annihilated. And MacArthur, to his credit, does come up with a plan. Let's take our 12, 15, 20,000 dudes. You can't ever get positive. You can't ever get accurate information anymore, as as you've heard me complain about several times. Let's take, we're going to call it, we're going to call it 15,000 and split the difference. Let's take 15,000 dudes and instead of landing them down on the southern tip where everybody's stuck, let's land them in the Inchon Peninsula, basically halfway up and essentially do an end around the North Korean army. We'll invade North Korea with our force, cutting off the North Koreans from their supply lines and forcing all their forces in the south to turn around and beat feet back to the north. Oh, no, they're in our house. It's a big deal. And it was was a good plan. It was a very good plan. And as I've discussed before, this line I stole from someone else and don't know whose it is, Remember, amateurs study tactics, professionals study logistics when it comes to war. You cut off somebody's ability to feed and resupply and evacuate medical casualties, you have essentially beaten them already. And we do it. We charge into Incheon and we take it and we storm through these North Koreans. I mean, these are American forces now. It's not the poorly equipped Southern, South Koreans, and we storm in there and take it. Now, who are the Americans? This part, this part always hits home for me. It would be easy to convince yourself, well, yeah, we took it. This is, this is the, the guys who stormed through the Pacific. These are the toughest Marines who've ever lived. No. Remember the force drawdown from 12 million to 1 million. When you do that as a nation... You keep these senior, very, very, very senior guys, and everyone else gets cleaned out. These were a bunch of 18, 19, 20-year-old kids who were too young to fight in World War II, barely, and signed up, most of them as reservists, just to get some time in. And when I say reservists, remember, that's not somebody who does military full-time. That's the one weekend a month, two weeks out of the year type thing. They're Marines, but to a man, you can see their interviews to this day. They say, "Uh, I signed up and I was pretty sure I was never going to have to fight anywhere. I wasn't worried about going to war. And now you're storming into North Korea, except Mao has a surprise waiting for you. Hang on. Miss something? There's a pop. Get it on demand wherever podcasts are found. The Jesse Kelly Show. I love the emails I get now about the Raycon earbuds. Because, look, obviously I know they're incredible. And I told you about the price, which you get an extra 15% off that when you go to buyraycon.com slash jesse. They started out at like half of the other premium wireless earbuds. So I already knew how good they were. I knew how good the price was. I have to be honest, it does me well. It does my heart good to hear how much you're all enjoying them too. We got another email to the show. Some guy's buying some for his wife. You will love these E25 earbuds. And they're so small and comfortable. They don't stick out of your ears at all. And there's no wire. They just fit right in there completely comfortably. And you get great sound. Six hours of charge. Six hours. I don't remember when I charged mine last. 
Go to buyraycon.com slash jesse. That's buyraycon.com slash jesse. That gets you 15% off. We storm into North Korea, and it's going just fine. And we're heading into North Korea up to a place called Chosen Reservoir. Chosen Reservoir is actually important to China. They get power from Chosen Reservoir. We know it's important to China. And I cannot believe I'm about to say this about one of history's monsters, but, you know, we try to play it straight up in Mao's defense. Here's this hardcore commie, and he sees the forces of democracy charging right up towards his his border, and MacArthur has indicated he wants to go clear up to the Yellow River. That is the border. The Yellow River is the border between North Korea and China. And MacArthur has said, that's where we're going. Screw North Korea. We're going to tear through the whole country. Mao, uh, understandably concerned about that, right? This is a man who just led a communist revolution. He doesn't even have a firm hold on power yet. Now you got the Americans storming up. Mao decides he's not going to allow this. Mao takes, and this is again an estimate, and they vary all over the place. But Mao takes 300,000 Chinese troops. Remember, we got 15,000 Marines in the few army. 300,000 Chinese troops, and he starts sending them through the mountains of North Korea down towards the Chosen Reservoir to ambush the 1st Marine Division. Understand this. The general on the ground. The general on the ground. His name's Smith. You don't have to worry about remembering that, but he's a great dude, great general. It would pay to remember it. Oliver Smith, the Marine Corps general. He's not an idiot, and he's on the ground, and they are, I mean, you can't sneak 300,000 people anywhere. Now, the Chinese, because they're poor commies, they don't have anything for equipment at this time. Don't think about current technologically advanced China. They have no tanks. They have no planes. They have, they have the people. So they're sending their people in at night through the mountains and not taking the roads. So our airplanes aren't seeing them. They hide during the day. So they are sneaking lots of them in. However, you can't sneak 300,000 people anywhere without anybody finding out. And Smith starts getting intelligence on the ground. He starts capturing some of these guys, minor engagements with some of these Chinese guys. And these Chinese guys are being very, very forthcoming with him. They're not holding out. They're like, oh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's like several divisions of us. Oh, yeah, we're coming to murder you all. Smith is getting real-time intelligence on the ground. He's passing this information back to MacArthur 
MacArthur has been on a public relations campaign enjoying being America's hero, telling everybody and their brother, we will be out of Korea with a victory by Thanksgiving. He's acting like we're about to walk in the park up to the Yellow River. Oops. MacArthur gets, starts getting these reports from Smith, and he's dismissing them and telling Smith, oh, forget about that. Oh, that can't be true. Keep pushing north fast, faster. No, why are you slowing down? Go faster. Smith is getting reports. Again, the, the word on the ground, we're about to be in very serious trouble here. So Smith, in a very, very savvy move, he decides, I'm going to keep advancing north as I've been ordered to do. Remember, even a general like Smith, I think he was a two-star general at the time, even a general like Smith has men above him. I've been ordered. I can't refuse to go north. But I don't have to necessarily go quite as fast as MacArthur's demanding. And MacArthur's getting mad at him. Hurry up. What are you doing? I promised Thanksgiving. I've made promises. And Smith is having to juggle MacArthur's massive ego with what he knows or at least suspects is about to happen, and that's that his men get ambushed. And Smith's caution saved the lives of 15,000, 20,000 American troops. Smith gets up to just south of the Chosen Reservoir. He's essentially at the reservoir. He really slows down now. This is a place called Hagaru. Now remember, you know, I don't give you many names to remember, locations to remember. This is going to be central to our story. I want you to imagine this reservoir. Don't worry about what it looks like. It's not important. I don't care if you picture it as a circle, even though it's not. It's not. Just picture a body of water. Okay? You ready? Now, remember, we're coming up from the south. I want you to picture a Y. You know what? I'm going to have to lay this out for you a little bit differently than I thought. I just had a great idea. Gosh, I'm so smart. Hang on. It is a rough financial future we are potentially facing in this country. And I, I don't, I'm not trying to scare you, but you know how this ends. Let me see if I can clarify where we're at. $26 trillion in debt. We are going to run up at least a $4 trillion deficit this year alone. The Fed, they're printing money devaluing the dollar with every single dollar they print. And they're printing it by the trillion. And yet we have this stock market that it's weird. It's high, right? With 50-some million people unemployed. Yes, it's weird. We are in the middle of a bubble. One everyone knows is going to burst, and you need some gold. You have to have it to keep yourself from being wiped out. Go to Gold Alliance. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau for a reason. GoldAlliance.com slash Jesse. That's GoldAlliance.com slash Jesse. 
Hagaroo. Remember the important place of Hagaroo? Well, the top of the Y, that V, Hagaroo is the bottom of it. The bottom of the V is Hagaroo. We have troops to the right. That's that part of the Y. We have troops to the left. That's that part of the Y. Hagaroo's the bottom point of the V. And then you have that straight line. Straight line underneath the Y. We're going to call that place K. Just because I've already given you too many names that I don't want to confuse you. That's a little outpost K. Directly north. The bottom part of the V is Hagaru. Then you got troops to the right of Chosen. You got troops to the left of Chosen. But General Smith gets to Hagaru, sets up his headquarters in Hagaru, and begins to slow down and build an airfield in Hagaru because he thinks hell on earth is coming. Sends troops to the right of the reservoir, sends troops to the left of the reservoir. And then hell on earth came. Jesse Kelly returns next. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. General Smith starts digging in, building his airfield at Hagaroo. Digging in foxholes as he has his troops spread out along the sides of the Y. Then the Chinese hordes come. Now, here's part of the issue General Smith has at Hagaru. Yes, he's digging in there, building an airfield there, making foxholes there. He's doing all this. But... He did not leave his infantry guys with him because you wouldn't do such a thing. It was not his fault. You leave your combat engineers who do the bulldozers in the building. The administrative personnel, cooks, things like that. Uh, What I'm about to say is going to sound insulting. I don't care. This is the facts of life. People have different jobs in the military. It's called MOS. And it matters a lot. The Marines love this saying, every Marine is a rifleman. And the Marines in this battle will prove themselves very well when it comes to every Marine being a rifleman. However, remember, what really makes a great warrior beyond the mentality and toughness and all that is simply training, time. That's all. I was in the infantry. And when you're in the infantry, that's all you do. All day, every day. 50, 60 hours a week. You shoot, you move, you communicate, you learn to kill people. That's what you do. 
if you're a cook, if you're administrative personnel, you shoot, honestly, once a year sometimes. You do something else. I'm not criticizing them. They say it takes six or seven support personnel for everybody in the infantry. You need those people, but that's not what they do. That's not what they do. Well, if you're General Smith and you're at Hagaru, you have a big, big problem. You see, the Chinese may be technologically backwards at this time, but they're not stupid. They see you building the airfield. They know they have to come for you at the airfield because they know cutting you off from the airfield means they're going to annihilate you. And let's be very clear, that was Mao's plan. It was not to defeat the 15,000 Marines there. It was complete encirclement and annihilation. He knew he had 30,000 against 15 or 20,000. He wanted to kill every single man there to signal to America, get out. And you're Smith. You've sent your infantry guys, the fighters, to the right of the Y and the left of the Y. And now they are under heavy attack by the Chinese pouring out of the mountains. And when I say pouring, this is the kind of fighting it was. 20, 30 below zero, as I explained at the beginning of the show. The Chinese, remember, they didn't move during the day because they were worried about our air power. So they would wait until pitch black at night. They would crawl to within 20, 30 feet of where we were dug in trench-wise and tell me this wouldn't be creepy. You were sitting in the mountains of North Korea trying not to freeze to death in your foxhole beside your buddy. Pitch black. You know they're coming. All of a sudden, flares get shot off into the sky and you hear bells, whistles, and bugles As they charge, you see, that's how they communicated, not with radios. They communicated with bells, whistles, and bugles, and they all go off at once. And you look, and there are more Chinese than you can count. Picture how many people are running at you when you have 300,000 people in the mountains coming to kill you. There's a really cool documentary on the Chosen Reservoir and Amazon Prime if you happen to have it. I watched about 30, 40 minutes of it last night. I just wanted to, I mean, sometimes if you can get a visual, it helps. And there's this heartbreaking thing, this old timer sitting there describing what it's like. And he breaks down sobbing on camera about him praying to God saying, please just let me see tomorrow. All I want to see is one more day as the Chinese pour into the Marine Corps fighting holes and they're killing each other with shovels, with with using their rifles as clubs. They're knifing each other. One Marine Corps machine gunner explains, at one point, he has to take his machine gun, turn it 180 degrees around, and aim it back at all his guys behind him and shoot over their heads because there are so many Chinese that have poured through the lines, and he has to mow them down behind him. And it's freezing. And they're screaming and there's dying. And they keep coming and keep coming. And the Chinese, 
because they're disgusting communist scum, not the men on the ground, the leadership, because they're disgusting communist scum, they don't care about the lives of their people at all. They give the first wave weapons. Only some in the second wave will have weapons. They grab the weapons off the second wave, or off the first wave, off the dead bodies, and they send them wave after wave after wave. And that's just on the sides. At Hagaru, down where they're building the airfield, down where it's headquarters, you've got bakers and mechanics and administrative personnel dug in, and they are fighting off the commie hordes like you can't possibly imagine, and they're in bad danger of being overrun. You remember the very bottom of the Y, that place I called K? We've got roughly 1,000 people there. George Company, Marine Corps Infantry Unit. General Smith up at Hagaru radios and says, I need all of you and I need you now. We are dying. Only they're 11 miles away through mountainous terrain. You see there's only one road to get to Chosen Reservoir. And the Chinese know what the Americans are going to do. So they set up an endless 11-mile ambush as the 1,000 Marines attempt to push from K up to Hagaru, blowing up vehicles, men burning alive, dying. At one point, they cut off half of the convoy, convoy. About halfway through, they blow up so many vehicles, the back half can't even get through. The front half radios Smith and says, bro, we're not going to make it. And Smith says, no, yes, you will. I need every man at any cost. You get here now. The back half turns around. The front half gets there. And Smith gets reinforced with George Company that will forever be known after this as Bloody George, to their credit. Smith, they must have looked like angels coming in. It's 300 trained United States Infantry Marines, and he sets them up on the hill that the Chinese are trying to take in order to eliminate the airfield, and they dig in. 200 Marines by this point, by the time they got there, And the 200 Marines got to the top of this hill and dug in. And the Chinese sent 3,000 men the first night against 200 Marines dug in. And they died. Lots of them. This company, Bloody George... They emerged from that hill four days later and half their men were gone. But they held Hagaru. And they held Hagaru long enough for the airstrip to be completed and the planes to come in to start bringing in supplies and flying out the dead. But it's still not over. You got eight divisions around you. Hang on. Jesse Kelly Show. You know how I listen to podcasts now? How I listen to music now? It's all on my Raycon earbuds. 
I don't listen to my truck stereo anymore, as I've told you before. I don't even listen to my little portable speakers. You know those portable Bluetooth speakers you keep around the house? You know, doing some work in the garage, getting ready for something in the bathroom. You turn on some speaker. No more. At all times now, I listen to my Raycon earbuds. Why wouldn't I? They're completely comfortable. I can leave them in all day. The bass sounds incredible. The voices are clear. Whether it's a podcast or music, they never give me a problem at all. Why do I need anything else? The only thing I need to go with my Raycon earbuds is a second pair for when someone else in my family steals them like my wife did. Go to buyraycon.com slash jesse. That's buyraycon.com slash jesse. That gets you an extra 15% off. One Marine division is surrounded by eight Chinese divisions. First of all, Smith has to even get the troops on the side of the Y. Remember, you still got guys up there. He has to get them back to him. I'm glossing over some of this. They're involved in heavy fighting the whole time. And he does get them back. And remember, part of the problem they're going through is the cold. Wounded Marines are dying before they can be air flighted out, freezing to death in medical tents. Remember, we did a show one time on the Winter War. You can die from your blood pressure dropping. And weather that cold. What I mean is, you remember during the Winter War when the Soviets invaded Finland and it was so cold, even the Soviets were all like, whoa, this is a little bad up here. You people live in this? And a wound that would not be fatal would sometimes kill people almost instantly because your blood pressure dropped and your body temperature, it was so cold outside, would drop and you just fall over dead. Marines are using the bodies of dead Chinese as windbreaks at night, stacking them up. Marines are using the dead bodies of their comrades at night as windbreaks, stacking them up. What's the worst night you've ever had in your life? Ever had a friend die beside you? Ever had to stare at his dead face all night while you try not to freeze to death in a little trench you dug? Men lived through this. They lived through this. He gets everybody back to Hagaroo, General Smith does. The planes are now coming. As I said, they're taking out the wounded. They're dropping supplies. But that doesn't change the facts on the ground. One Marine division is surrounded by eight Chinese divisions. And now you have to fight your way back south. You have to fight your way through the mountains back south. And the Chinese know where you're going because, again, there's one road. It's not as if they have to divide up their forces. And the Marines, in one of the greatest long 
maneuvers I've ever seen that I've ever seen in the history of warfare. The Marines fight 70 miles through the freezing mountains of North Korea back all the way down south. They make it. They make it at a heavy, heavy cost, but they make it out. I told you the Battle of Chosen Reservoir was something you should have already known about. These men, this war, these men, I, it moves me more than others. You can't, you can't pick and choose what, what moves you, what doesn't. But this war moves me because it is the forgotten war. Chris hears me talk about history for an hour a day at the beginning of my show. He's never heard that story in his life until I just told it to you this morning or this evening, depending on when you listen. That's a fact. It moves me when people go through hell and they're forgotten. There's something about being forgotten that gets to me. And you know, and I'm not exactly the touchy-feely type. That's why I do Medal of Honor Monday. It sounds so simplistic, and maybe it is, but that's why I do it. They deserve to be remembered. What they do, what great people do, deserves to be remembered, and unless you read it out loud, unless you talk about it, it won't be remembered. People who do these incredible things Deserve to be remembered. And these guys, man, I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if I could fight in cold like that. On top of how eerie the mountains are anyway, and especially when they're cold. Now, I love being out in nature. I love being out in the mountains. We used to go deer hunting when I was a kid in Montana. They deer hunt quite a bit different down here in Texas. In Montana, you deer hunt in the cold, in the mountains, and you go up into ravines and little ridge lines, and you go up there in the dark, and you hike through the snow, and you find someplace really, really cold, and you sit down. Only you don't sit down together. You want to divide up your forces. You split your, you, you know, one guy goes to this side of the ravine. This guy goes to the other side of the ravine. And you do this in the dark and you have to wait because you want to be there when the sun comes up because that's when the deer start moving. Long story short, you sit down in the cold in the mountains by yourself without, without any commie Chinese coming to murder you. And it's eerie. There's something eerie about it. It's cool. Gets the blood pumping. But I can't imagine being in that situation and knowing I'm about to have to murder somebody with my E-tool in five seconds because he's coming into my fighting hole. And we don't even remember him. I'm not going to dwell long on this today because there are a bunch of other stories, but people who have lost their livelihoods, 
because of our coronavirus response, we don't even talk about them anymore. I have seen it firsthand. I watched my folks do it. You know what it's like to build a business? How you have to kill yourself and take risks and try and try and try again. And if if you're lucky, you catch some breaks, you finally make it. And have the government come in and take it all away. That person, these people who've gone through this, they deserve to be talked about. They deserve to have their stories told. I can't believe how cold people have gotten to that reality. You'll hear think, well, it was a virus. Well, they probably weren't doing that well anyway. You hear these things and I just, my jaw hangs open at the ignorance out there of how a business runs, at what it takes to start one, at how much the employees mean to small business owners. And forget about just business owners. You lost your job? You've been furloughed? You've been laid off? How's that feel? To lose it all to, 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 to no, no fault of your own. And we don't even talk about them anymore. We've somehow moved right along. There's Black Lives Matter rallies. And then, well, we got an election. And uh, Joe Biden said something stupid. Surprise, surprise. Why are we not talking about these people anymore? We have over 50 million Americans out of work. Over 50 million. And we just just chuck their story to the side like they're trash. Not trash to me. 877-377-4373. We will be back. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years, was solely dedicated working on the cover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually, my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink. The guys come in. I'm going to go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam, I give her a hundred dollars. If you're with the mob, I say, hey, Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl level scandals. 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.